looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been looking at the topic of Christian liberty. The freedom that we enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or let me say it like this. What are the benefits that we enjoy because I am a born again believer? Those are some of the things that we were looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9 and now in chapter 10. Just because I am a born again believer does not mean that I can do whatever I want to do. Just because I have freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ does not mean that I can come and behave, think, say whatever I want to say. The freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ loves us to enjoy that relationship in the right way, in the way in which the Lord has instructed to us from his holy scriptures. When we follow those things, that is when you and I truly understand what it means to be free. Freedom because of what the Lord has given to us. Now in chapter 10 verses 1 to 5, the last time, we were studying about the examples from the Old Testament saints. We were studying about how the people of Israel behaved, how the people of Israel used their freedom, and what we are to learn from that kind of freedom. Now, if you were to remember chapter 10 verses 1 to 5, we spoke about five benefits of the people of Israel. The five benefits that they enjoy and what are the essence of that enjoyment we see in the New Testament. And if that is the case, from verses 6 to verse 13, if you remember, today we are going to look at five failures from the life of the people of Israel. The five failures that they had gone through and why we should learn from it, and how you and I can apply these things that we learn from the lessons of the Old Testament saints, and how you, can, you and I can apply that in our lives today. Now again, just to rephrase what we've been studying so far, why should we look at the Old Testament saints? Why is it that the Old Testament examples are important for us? Look at what it says in verse 6. It says, Now these things occurred as examples. These things have been written in the New Testament because they are examples for you and for me. So that we look at these examples and we learn from these examples. You look at verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Okay, these things have been recorded in scripture as examples to them and it is written down as warnings for us. So we read these examples, we listen to these warnings, we examine, examine our own lives in the light of scripture to see this is what they did and this is how they suffered and therefore this is what I need to avoid in my Christian life. Now what are the five sins that Apostle Paul highlights here from the Old Testament, from the life of the people of Israel? Number one, if you look at verse six, he talks about the sin of of craving. Let me read verse 6 for you. Now these things occurred as examples, and here's the first point that he makes, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. The first mistake that Apostle Paul highlights from the life of the people of Israel was that they were involved in the sin of craving. They set their hearts on evil things. Now, in order to create a context to what Apostle Paul is saying here, could you turn with me to the book of Numbers chapter 11? Quickly. Numbers chapter 11. And I'll read a couple of verses to allow us to understand how Apostle Paul brings this point out. The book of Numbers chapter 11. And we'll just read verses 4. Look what it says. Numbers chapter 11 verses 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again the Israelites started wailing and said, If 
only we had meat to eat. You look at verse 13. Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. Look at verse 33. It says, that, But while the meat was still between the teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Verse 34. Therefore, the place was named Kirboth Hatava, because there they buried the people who had craved other food. Apostle Paul talks about this one particular incident and when he comes to the New Testament, he talks to the Corinth believers and he says, don't follow the examples of the people of Israel. Why? Because they set their hearts on evil things. They had cravings. They had cravings in their heart. And because they had craved the things that did not belong to God, the problem with that was that all of them went through the punishment that directly came from God, which was the punishment of death. Believers must not have within them the sin of craving. You know, the problem with craving is that it can never, ever be satisfied, right? It can never, ever be satisfied. Let me explain it in this way. Exodus 15, it started with craving for water. Oh, where will we get water from? And then, you know, God through his servant Moses gave them water. When they got water, Exodus 16, where is, where, the only thing that we have is this water. We need food to eat. God gave them manna. Again, in the same chapter, when they had manna, God gave them meat. Even though they got water, even though they got manna, even though they got meat, they still craved for more. They still craved for more. And that is the problem with craving, my dear brothers and sisters. The more we get, the only thing we want is we want to get it a little more. That is the big essence, the problem with, with craving. And you know what? The people of Israel fell in this particular sin because... It was not just about water. It was not just about manna. It was not just about the quail. But they were more concerned about their physical appetite rather than food for their spiritual soul. Because all that they were concerned about was going out into the morning, collecting that manna, collecting that quail, so that they can cook and they eat. And then they worried about where will they get food for their next meal. That was all that they were concerned about. So I don't think that appetite in itself is a problem if that is our only concern, if that is our only craving. That it is alright for us to have some kind of cravings, but if that is the only essence, if that is the only goal in our life, that is when God is not very much pleased with it. They craved food so much that that was the only thing that was there in their mind. And as a result of their craving, the more the Lord provided for them, the only thing that it caused them to do was to crave even more. Think about it, right? There's a verse we read last time we studied this where God himself says, For 40 years I fed you, right? The Lord said, For 40 years I gave you water to drink. I gave you manna. Your souls did not wear out. Your clothes did not tear. And for those 40 years, the only thing that the outcome of this was that when I gave, you craved even more. You craved. That was not a problem. But you craved only because you were hungry physically. You were never much concerned about your spiritual hunger. 
You know, I think of it this way when I read this verse. When they set their hearts on evil things, I think of it this in this way. The Israelites, basically, they rejected God and they rejected His provisions. And I believe that those who reject God are the enemies of God. You agree with me? Those who reject God are His enemies. And this is a fitting character for all the enemies of God. This is a fitting character of all the enemies of God. They are not concerned about anything else other than their physical appetite. Let me read a verse for you. Can you turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. You look at what God talks about the enemies of the gospel. Philippians chapter 3 verse 18. Where it says, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. I don't have to explain this. It's very clear there. This is the cause of those who are the enemies of God. They are only concerned about their stomach. Because that is their God. They live for the fact that they want to eat. So that they can go on to the next day. And that was what was happening to the people of Israel. And all the enemies of God. People of God who had come out to go to the promised land. Did not enter. But rather they were killed. And their bodies were buried under the desert. Because the enemies of God were only concerned about their stomachs. And the destiny of these enemies are destruction. And that's what the word of God clearly says. Brothers and sisters, can I encourage each and every one of us in the light of the scriptures to re-examine our craving for the Lord. Can we along with the psalmist in Psalm 41, he says, you can say it along with me, he says, Just as how the deer panteth for the water, so my soul, it, it craves for the Lord Jesus Christ. It desires for the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like how when I eat more, I want more. When I, want, when I get a little of the Lord Jesus, I desire and I crave a little more of the Lord every single day of my life. Can we encourage each other to do that? Just as how much we crave for the Lord Jesus today, can we crave for Him a little bit more? Every single day, the more I spend time with Him, with His Word, in prayer, in fellowship, I desire and I crave a lot more of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the songs we sang for worship today was that great hymn that says, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There is a precious fountain. It is a stream to all who come. It is a stream that flows with grace. You know that is a song that was written by Fanny Crosby. She was a famous sister because she was born blind. But every single song of hers that we sing, she always talks of words like sight. She always talks of words like rapture. She always talks of words like see Jesus face to face. Those were the words that was there in the song today. That is craving for the Lord. Because every moment of her life when she wakes up, when she wakes up in darkness, she's only thinking of the day when she will see her Savior face to face. Her eyes will open once and for all. That was her craving for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I should learn to adopt to have such kind of cravings a little more. To crave for the Lord Jesus Christ every single day of our life. You know, Jesus himself said that, right? In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, he said, Man shall not live... On bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man should not live just in a 
in order to eat to satisfy his physical soul along with that man women brothers sisters born again believers must live so that they can eat from the words that come out of the mouth of our lord jesus christ every single day our desire is that we we crave more of the lord jesus christ Let me read a verse to you from the New Testament. Turn with me to the book of First Peter, chapter two and verse two. Look at what Peter says over here. First Peter, chapter two, and verse two. You look at what he says here. First Peter, chapter two and verse two. He says, "Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good." Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, all of us who have tasted that the Lord is good, please raise your hand. All of us who have tasted that the Lord is good, brothers and sisters, those of us who have raised your hand, let us all crave to drink the spiritual milk of God. Let us all desire to drink more. That the more we drink, we are not satisfied. That we want it a little more, but we need to have that craving. And how can we do that? You look at what it says in verses one. First Peter chapter two verse one to get rid of all malice, get rid of all deceit, get rid of hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. If we set our hearts on that which is evil, we cannot crave the spiritual milk that comes from God. You get what I'm trying to say? So, in order for us to crave, we need to look at our own lives and to see that evil that is there in us, to let go of those things that are evil. and then we set our hearts on things that belongs to the lord jesus christ we crave for a lot more that belongs to the lord jesus christ the first sin that the people of israel committed was that they set their hearts on evil they craved and the more that they craved the only benefit that they got out of it was to be buried in the middle of a desert What do we crave for my brothers and sisters do we crave for the lord jesus christ a little bit more today than yesterday do i have a craving for the lord jesus christ if there is any of us who struggle with that all we need to do is come into the presence of our lord and say lord would you desi- would you create that desire in me would you allow me to let go of all malice to set my heart not on things that are evil but rather to crave the spiritual milk that comes from the lord and as we drink his milk we will grow in our knowledge and our understanding of our relationship with the lord jesus christ the people of israel they set their hearts on evil things number 2 come back to first corinthians chapter 10 and i'll read verses 7 do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry the second thing that apostle paul talks of about the people of israel when he talks to the born again believers in the church at corinth he says the sin of idolatry should not be there in the hearts of the believers now we talk about idolatry a lot from the pulpit that is something that you and i know really really well but let me try to build another kind of context for you turn with me to the book of exodus chapter 32 as i said these are examples from the old testament we need to look at these examples and try to see what we can study from these examples look at exodus chapter 32 It is very interesting how Exodus chapter 32 verses 1 begins. You see how the people of Israel come to their second in chief, the commander in chief Aaron and they come to him and they say, "Come, make us gods. Come, make for us gods. Why should you make gods for us? Because this fellow, we don't know where he is. 
It's been more than a day, it's been more than a week, it's been about, about 40 days. We have no sign about him. Okay, we last checked his WhatsApp login time was about 40 days back. We have no clue where he is. So therefore, let's forget about this guy. Come, let us make gods. And we know if you look at this passage later also, because of these gods that they had made, they were punished with a plague and many of them died on that day. It's so funny, right? Whenever we read this portion, I always think of Aaron. When Moses came up to Aaron and said, why did you do this? He said, it's not me. You know what we did? We all came together. We collected our jewelry. We threw this jewelry into the fire and one cow came out. Can you imagine somebody saying that? Because that's exactly what he says. We just threw it into the fire and a cow came out. That's so funny, right? You know, we may laugh about it, but you know this time that they said, make for us gods, became a perpetual habit for the people of Israel. It was not only something that they obtained and copied, but it was something they they taught their future generations even to follow. Throughout the generation of the people of Israel, they were always involved in the sin of idolatry. That's the reason why in the book of Joshua chapter 25 verse 15 and 16, Joshua looks at the people of Israel and he says, decide for this day whom you will, whether it was the gods of that river, whether it was the gods that you picked along the way, but whatever decision you have made, I have made a choice. It's not just me. It is me and my house. We have decided that we will serve the Lord. Along the way, they picked up a lot of detestable habits. Along the way, they picked up a lot of detestable gods. Along the way, they decided that other than God and Yahweh God, we can place another idol right next to him and we can worship both of these gods. And as a result of which, they had to pay the price because of that decision. Choose for this day whom you will serve. You come back to come to First Corinthians chapter ten. The problem with the people at Corinth was that they also thought the same thing. Yes, they used to come to church. Yes, they used to worship God, but they thought that idol worship was okay with God. They thought that it was all right for them to come to church and worship the Lord. And the remainder part of the week, they thought it was all right for them to be at the temple worshiping these various kinds of idols. If you remember First Corinthians chapter eight. We studied about food offered to, for, for idol worship. We studied about how the believers didn't find it a problem going for these, for, for these festivals, going for these temple services, sitting in the temple with idol worshippers, and they didn't have a problem being involved in everything that was happening there. The problem was that they used to attend that, and they used to attend this at the same, in the same way. And they used to worship both God and the idols that they came along with. And again we know that this was a sin that was punished by God through death. Just to remind us one more time, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 30, if you look into that, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30, there Apostle Paul says, because of this reason many of you have fallen sick and many of you have fallen asleep. By the word asleep, Apostle Paul is talking about physical death. 
There are many born again believers who at that point of time thought it was all right. There was no remorse of sin. They continued their lifestyle for a period of time when God understood that they were not being remorseful. At that point of time, God removed certain people through physical death because they were not concerned about the fact that they were living a double standard life in their relationship with God. It is impossible for us to serve both God and idol because our God is a God who is truly very jealous. If you could just turn with me to Psalm 16, I'd like to read a verse for you. Psalm 16. <laughs> Look at what the psalmist says here in Psalm 16 and verses 4. There it says, The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to give a definition of what another god can mean. I want to leave that up to you because we are all mature brothers and sisters. What other gods have we placed today other, other than the one true God that we worship and serve? Is there any other gods that we serve? Any other gods that has taken our heart, our minds? Is there idol worship in our life? Let us only understand that running after these kind of gods... Running after anything other than God will only increase our sorrow. But instead, like the psalmist in Psalm 16 and verse 2, we should say, look at what it says in verse 2. It says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from you, Lord, I have no good thing. Apart from you, Lord, I desire nothing else good in my life. Lord, if I've bowed down to any kind of idol in my life, Lord, if I have bowed down to any other God in my life, I pray that you would forgive me. I pray that I will only find my source of joy in you and in you alone. Apart from you, God, there is nothing else good for me. The people of Israel were involved in the sin of idol worship. Number three, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 8. Look at the third sin that he is talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 8. You should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. 23,000 of them died. The people of Israel were involved in the sin of immorality. Yet again, another topic that we talk of on a regular basis from the pulpit. Born again believers must not be involved in the sin of idolatry. But let me, let me try to paint that picture to you from the Old Testament. Because it's a valuable lesson that you and I can learn. Numbers chapter 25. If you can just turn your Bibles with me to Numbers chapter 25. You know, Balaam, the prophet, gives Balak a brilliant idea how to hurt the people of Israel. When his cursing did not work, but rather when his cursing was turned to blessing, Balaam gives a brilliant idea to Balak. How can we destroy the people of Israel in Numbers chapter 25? It's very simple. All we have to do is to use the Moabite women. And it was the Moabite women who came and enticed the people of Israel. And they committed immorality with them. As a result of that immorality, God struck them with a plague. And that plague killed about 24,000 people. There was one man who was so brazen enough, so bold enough that he caught a woman and he brought her inside the camp. We know the story. He brought her when the elders and the chief were in sackcloth and they were crying. 
And he took her into his tent to commit adultery. And we know that one holy man took a spear, went inside, and he killed both of them. From that moment, the plague was stopped. Immorality was prevalent among the people of Israel. But you know, this was not the only thing that bothered the Lord, Yahweh God. Because if you just look at Deuteronomy chapter 23, there were temple prostitutes. Temple prostitutes. Interestingly, there were male and female prostitutes. The problem there was that they would bring their offerings that they got from their profession into the house of the Lord. And they were offered at the feet of God. Just imagine how much it would burn his own heart to know that these people were bringing their offering, their money, whatever they brought. They brought this offering from the evil acts that they had committed. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 23, there is a word that is written there. It says, this is detestable in the eyes of God. It is detestable. This is not something that God will ever be okay with. Men and women prostituting themselves and coming into the house of the Lord and offering those things and thinking that it is acceptable unto God. The sin of immorality was not only there in the people of Israel, but it is there in the Corinth church. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we studied there, there was a man who was living in an illicit relationship with a woman. And so much so, he was so bold enough, just like that man in the Old Testament, to bring that woman into the house of the Lord. And he thought that just because he brought that woman, that it should be alright with everyone else. And imagine how that act of that one man defiled the entire community. A community that called on the name of God. Immorality must not be present in our lives. Immorality must not be present in our lives. You know, there's a verse that I want to read for you. Turn to me to Ephesians chapter 5. You look at what Apostle, how Apostle Paul describes this. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3. You look at what he says there. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. You look at what Apostle Paul says. He says, he talks to born again believers. He looks at born again believers and he says, Brothers and sisters, when we come together into the presence of our Lord, it's not just about immorality, but even a hint of immorality must not be there in our lives. Why should immorality not be there? Because verse 3 continues on to say, you look at the last part of verse 3, because these are improper for God's holy people. The word holiness means God's saint. Morality must not be present in our life because we are a people that is holy. We are saints in the sight of a holy God. And therefore, immorality must not be present in our lives. Now, I don't want to explain immorality because all of us know it. We hear it again and again and again. So I want to leave that to all of us. Let's all ask ourselves an important question. As singles, as young men, as young women, as husbands, as wives, as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are seated in the presence of our Lord, can we all examine our own lives to see if there is the sin of immorality in me? If there is the sin of, of, of sexual immorality in my life, if there is a hint of immorality in my life, God will not be pleased. Let's take that Old Testament example and let's tell ourselves, Oh Lord, 
I realize right now that if I live in immorality, it is detestable in the sight of a holy God. But how do we understand? How do we understand if we are living in immorality? How do we understand if I am living in sin? You look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 13. It says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That, this is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So can I encourage each and every one of us to live in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. While we live in the light of the Lord Jesus, because he is the light, he will reveal that which is hidden in our lives. He will expose the sins that are there in us. And when he exposes the sin, as it says in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, we confess, we receive the forgiveness that comes from God. We receive the forgiveness that comes from God. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage all of us to live in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us come into the light of the Lord Jesus every single day. Through prayer, through the study of His word, through our relationship with Him. Let's ask the Lord Jesus, through His light, to reveal the hidden things that are there in my heart. To break open my heart. And if there is immorality in me, that I will confess my sins. Maybe for so long I have hidden it from everybody else. Maybe for so long I have struggled with this. Maybe for so long I have managed to fool everyone in church. But I cannot run with this sin for that long a time. Can we stop running? Can we come into the presence of our Lord? Approach the light and ask the Lord to forgive us of this sin of immorality. There must not be a hint of immorality. Among the life of the born again believers. Number one, they craved, there was the sin of craving in the life of the, born again, of, of the people of Israel. Number two, they were involved in the sin of idolatry. Number three, they were involved in the sin of immorality. And then let me share the fourth and the fifth sin together. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And let me share the fourth and the fifth, verses 8 onwards. Look at what he says there. Verse 8, we should not, we should not. Oh, sorry, verse 9. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. The fourth and the fifth sin that God, Yahweh, speaks about the people of Israel was that they tested the Lord. Not only did they test the Lord, but they questioned the leaders that was placed on authority by God. People like Moses. They tested the Lord. Not only did they test the Lord, but they questioned the leaders placed by God. Again, brothers and sisters, you read that verse carefully. You look at these two verses, you look at these two sins, they were punished by God through physical death. All of the five sins that we find mentioned here, as an example from the life of the people of Israel, were sins punished by death. Now I'm not trying to make a wrong application, what I'm trying to say is that God takes sin very seriously. He's not someone who's just going to keep quiet and allow us to be the way we want to be. The people of Israel, they tested God, they tried God, and they questioned the people placed in authority. Again, let me just set the context for you. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 21. And this is the context that Apostle Paul is using. Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 onwards. Numbers 21, verse 4 onwards. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go round Edom. 
but the people grew impatient on the way this is how they tested him and then you see the next sin they spoke against god and against moses and said why have you brought us up out of egypt to die in the desert there is no bread there is no water and we detest this miserable food we detest this miserable food you look at numbers chapter 21 verse 4 the people of israel were almost about to reach the promised land there was this straight kind of path that they were supposed to take but you know what god in his foreknowledge knew that the enemies were there right ahead of them so instead of taking them on that straight path god told them to take a detour now the only problem was that the detour took a little longer time and you know what happened when they were taking that detour they started to go impatient with god they when they grew impatient with god they tried, started to test him and as a result of their test on the lord the lord punished them because not only did they test the lord they doubted his guidance they thought the lord was not know, the lord did not know what he was doing and as a result of which they questioned him they thought he did not know how to guide them and they started to question the people that were placed in authority over them you know the punishment for their disbelief was that god set snakes to go among them and many of them were bitten and many of them lost their life you know that story right the only way to escape from that punishment was that a bronze snake was made it was placed on a tree and those who looked on that snake they were released from that bite and they were saved from that death you know that act of looking on that snake it requires the opposite of disbelief it requires the act of faith so the problem here was not only that they tested the lord they doubted him but it was that they did not have enough faith you know in the gospels how jesus himself talks about it right in matthew's gospel chapter 17 he says if your faith is as small as a little more louder is as small as a says a mustard seed that's all that we require if our faith is as small as a mustard seed even if you tell to this mountain remove yourself and throw it into the sea it will take place you know the problem we have in regards to trusting the lord the problem you and i face in regards to to having faith is that many a times we want our faith to rest on that which is tangible you agree with me it is easier for us i would say it would be easier for us to place our trust on something that is visibly seen that i can feel and that's the problem with our faith many a times you and i would struggle in our faith is because if it is tangible it is easier to believe if it is physically present if it is right there in front of us only then can you and i take a step of faith and you remember how the writer to the book of hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 he talks about the essence of faith can you turn to that passage hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 you know what let me just give you a simple def- uh, simple definition it says faith is being sure and certain of that which is unseen faith is being sure and certain of that which is unseen the only disadvantage we have today is that we believe in a god who cannot be physically seen 
But other than that, he is a God that can in all other ways, in all other aspects, can be trusted, can be depended on. He is the only guide that we require in our life. How do we fare in our faith life, brothers and sisters? Do we find ourselves recently falling short in trusting the Lord in, in, in anything in our life? Do we find it difficult and sometimes do we find ourselves reaching out to that which is the unseen and saying, since nothing is there, I would rather place my trust on something that I can actually feel. You know, I remember the words of Thomas in John's Gospel chapter 20. When the others came up to Thomas and said, Thomas, our Savior has risen. What did Thomas say? Unless I put my hand in that wound, unless I feel the marks on his side, only then will I believe. And then he behaved just like how you and I would behave when the Lord was standing in front of him. When Jesus appeared and Jesus said, touch me. And then he says, oh Lord and my God. And I love this phrase that Jesus himself uses. He says, blessed are you who believe, but blessed are more who have not seen and yet have. You know, I believe that he's talking about the future tense. He's talking about all of us today who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ without having seen him. We are blessed people because we have placed our trust on that which is unseen. We have placed our trust and our salvation on the one who gave his only life for you and for me. Can I take a minute and just, take, just talk about that story uh, about the bronze snake? Turn with me to the, book, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 3. The Gospel of John chapter 3. When the people were bitten by the snakes, when the people were dying, all that they required to do was to look up at that bronze snake and by faith they would be saved. John's Gospel chapter 3. And verse 14, it says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, would you give me your careful attention for the next few minutes? You know, the Old Testament story about the bronze snake, it was a true testament of what was to happen in the future. Because just like how the scripture says, just like how the bronze snake was once lifted up, to those who looked at that snake by faith were saved. It was a sign of what was to come. It was a sign of God who created the entire universe, who came into this world and was lifted up on the cross of Calvary, just like how that snake was lifted up. So that when he was dying for the sins of the entire world, if, a, if anyone born today, if anyone born during this time, if you look on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin by faith, you also will be saved. Brothers and sisters, there is no other way, let me tell you from scripture, how you could ever go to heaven. Because the Bible very clearly teaches that salvation is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for your sin and my sin. Jesus died, in fact, for the entire world so that those who by faith look on the cross of Calvary, those who believe in the Lord Jesus, those who ask Him for the forgiveness of your sins, if you ask the Lord to come and live into your heart, the Bible says you will be saved, you will become a child of God. And that is what verse 14 and 15 says. And you keep this in your mind, you read verse 16, it makes much more sense to you. Can we all say that verse together? John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is there anybody sitting here this morning who has never asked the Lord Jesus to come and live into your heart? 
probably you've have you've heard this message so many times in your life but you only need to make that decision once brothers and sisters if you realize that you've been born in in sin let me tell you from scripture that if you are born in sin and if you continue to live in sin and if you die as a sinner the only place reserved for you is eternal damnation and to those who believe the scripture says they to those who believe to them he has given them the privilege to be called his children and wherever you are seated as you listen to the word of the lord this morning can i encourage you to open your heart wherever you are seated you just need to say in your heart lord jesus would you forgive me i know i am a sinner i know you paid the price for my sin on the cross of calvary i believe in you and if you say this prayer in your heart the scripture very clearly says you will be saved to those of us who've already made the decision can i ask each and every one of us to examine our lives in the light of what we studied today do we test the lord do we push him to his limits do we do we do we tell ourselves oh lord i think that this is even far greater this is something far beyond your ability oh god do we question people that is placed an authority over us do we say no i think i know what i am actually doing you and i need to be very careful very careful when we examine our own lives our relationship in the eyes of a holy god so what is the applications that you and i can learn from this let's read verse 11 look at what it says in verse 11 now these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come now what does he mean by that he's saying the same god of the old testament is the same god of the new testament the same god who was with the people of israel is the same god that we worship today brothers and sisters please listen to me carefully the same god that led the people of israel during their desert journey is the same god that leads us every single day and apostle paul goes on to say just like how god dealt with the people of israel how he took their sin seriously how he was not quiet but he taught them what it means to follow the commandments of god a god will deal the same thing with us as well that god will make sure we understand what it means to follow every commandment of god therefore verses 12 So if you think you are standing firm be careful that you do not fall How how is our standing in Christ today brothers and sisters can we all examine our own lives do we go through the struggle of temptation to crave a lot more do we struggle with the temptation of idolatry in our lives do we struggle with the temptation of immorality do we struggle with the temptation of testing the lord of questioning his leaders You know temptation in itself is not sin the bible very clearly teaches that yielding to temptation is the problem if these struggles are there in our life if you and i are going through temptation what can we do look at what it says in verse 13 it says no temptation has seized you except what is common to man which means all of us go through the one and the same temptation there is nobody sitting here today who can say i am the only one who is suffering there is no one who suffers like me no temptation is what we go through except that which is common to man that means if you and i are going through the same temptation 
you and I are also going through the same kind of struggle. You and I also fall in the same areas. You and I can look at each other and say, Brother, sister, I know exactly what you are going through because I have the same struggle as well. I also crave many a times. I find myself in a position that I do not, I am not able to be satisfied that the more I get, the more I want. Brother, my sister, we are struggling together. Therefore, let us help each other. None of us struggle more than the other person. We all go through the same kind of temptation. What's the other thing that we can learn? It says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. The Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, He always, always understands our capacity. You know, that's something Ruby and I always encourage each other with. Whenever we go through anything in our life, we always tell each other, the Lord knows that I am able to bear this. And that's why the Lord has allowed me to go through it. And that's what we should encourage each other. When we talk to each other, when we talk to each other about our struggles, we should tell each other, brother, sister, understand. The scripture says, the Lord knows that you are able to go through it. The Lord knows that this is not beyond your capacity. And therefore, be firm, be strong. As we go through this trial of testing, of temptation, of shortcomings that we go through in our lives. And verse 13 at the end it says, But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Isn't that beautiful? Let me just give you an example from the people of Israel. The people of Israel went through the same temptations. The sin of craving, the sin of idolatry, the sin of immorality, the sin of testing the Lord, the sin of questioning the leaders. But you know the problem with the people of Israel? They were never looking for a way out. They were always looking for a way to indulge in more. And as a result of that, they never found the way out. And ultimately they died and they were buried in the desert. That will happen to all of us who do not desire a way out. There is no other way to say it. Therefore, we need to ask ourselves certain serious questions. Brothers and sisters, do we desire a way out? Because only if we desire a way out, will the Lord help us to find that way. Or are we satisfied in the indulgence in our Christian life? Do we tell ourselves, Oh Lord, I am content in the sin that I am living in right now. Sadly, there are many Christians like that today. They don't want a way out. They are satisfied with the emptiness that they live with. They think that they will find happiness, joy and contentment. But it only leads to disaster and discontentment. Therefore, brothers and sisters, as we, as we close in a little while, can I encourage us to remind ourselves of what Nehemiah the prophet said in chapter 8 and verse 10. He said, the joy of the Lord is my, it is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And if there is any of us, I am sure a lot of us, including myself, would be struggling. Probably our week was very tough. Probably there are struggles that you and I are going through in our lives. Can I encourage each and every one of us to take a minute and say, Oh Lord, I am weak. I want to feel your strength. I want you to fill my heart with your joy. Let your joy be my strength. Can I ask everyone just for a minute to close your eyes and bow your head? Everybody, just to close your eyes and bow your head. The only reason I ask you to close your eyes is so that you will not be distracted by anything else that's happening in and around you. Could you just take a minute to close your eyes? And as you close your eyes, can I ask you to examine your own life in the light of what we've studied today? These things have been written down as examples and as warnings for us so that we examine our own lives. We don't examine somebody else's life. 
this message is for you brother and sister just like how it is a message for me so take the next few minutes and think about your own life is there any of us who are struggling with sin is the sin of craving there in me that i desire more and more but all that desire that that i desire of is not of the lord is there the sin of idolatry immorality in me is there the sin of testing the lord so much so that we question his will his purpose and do we misbehave with people that god has placed as authority over us in the church and if there is any of us who are going through these kind of struggles let's take a minute and say lord i thank you that you provide the grace you always provide a way out of it all that we need to do is to say lord i am sorry would you give me the strength that i need to take one step at a time before we pray and close i just want to give you a few seconds to pray whatever is there in your heart and to set things right with the lord if there is any of you sitting here who is listening to the message of the gospel for the first time in your life can i encourage you brother and sister please don't go back the same way that you came wherever you are seated would you open your heart would you ask the lord jesus to come and live in would you ask him for the forgiveness of your sins and would you place your trust and your faith in god whatever is it that you want to pray you can pray unto the lord and then we will pray and we will close our lord and our savior jesus christ we are joyful for this for this day that you've given to us to remember your sacrifice not because of what we have done or we could do simply because of the grace of our lord in the light of the scriptures lord we admit that we fall short we fall short in a long way father lord would you please forgive us would you give us the strength lord we learn these valuable lessons enable us not to just keep it in our minds but to apply it in our hearts so that in all that we do we will grow from strength to strength lord we 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 confess that recently our cravings for spiritual milk has decreased would you allow that to increase in our lives that we would desire you a lot more than we do desire you right now father we pray all this acknowledging the fact that today you will return and if you are to return what a joy it would be for us to see you again and again and for any reason that's known only to you if you choose to tarry any blessed to live a life that is worth pleasing to you accept our praise and our worship as we offer it through our lord and our savior jesus christ